0: Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast, and join me there for our brand new Training Tip Tuesdays, where every Tuesday I give you a brand new training tip on Instagram, so go check it out. And if the visual thing is more your thing, you can find me on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel there. And if you want to support the show even further, become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash dogcast. And if you love what you're hearing, guys, if you like the show, do me a favor. Scroll on down, give me that five-star rating, leave me a review, all those Spotify and Apple Podcast listeners. I would greatly appreciate it, guys. Now, on today's show, we have dog parks and socialization a lot of great info to know about how to properly socialize your dog as well as maybe some of the do's and don'ts of the dog park as well then we have a segment on learning how to keep it simple yes it's keeping it simple with your dog and dog training then comes the history of animal mascots 101 followed by the listener q a if you have any questions for the listener q a you can email me uh, questions at speakadogcast.com message me on social media leave a question on the spotify channel whatever you guys want uh, keep them coming my way dog training animal question uh animal training my goodness i can talk today leave it <laughs> send them my way and your question might get featured on the podcast now before we get going with today's show got gotta give you that trivia question today's question is going to be in the 1989 movie turner and hooch what breed of dog was hooch Yes, in the 1989 movie Turner and Hooch, what breed of dog was Hooch? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast Dog Parks and Socialization. We all know that socializing your dog is very important. It's very important to socialize your dog to have a well rounded and mentally balanced and stable dog. They're pack animals after all, we all know it. It's in their nature to want to be social, to want to be with their pack, to want to have fun, right? Like that's a part of it too. Uh, And so when we talk about socializing dogs, it's important that you guys know how to properly socialize your dog. And of course, I don't want you getting yourself in a situation that's Uh, Going to be uncomfortable for you or your dogs. It can happen, and maybe there's ways we can deal with that too. But of course, the dog park side, we want to talk about uncomfortable, we can talk about a dog park. (laughs) You may know uh, if you've listened before, I'm not the biggest fan of dog parks, and we're going to talk about why. Uh, And if you are going to go to a dog park, how to set yourself up for success so you have a safer, better time at a dog park that you can possibly have. So we're going to talk a little bit about both of those today individually. Dog park, socialization, and then of course kind of how they go together. So, you know, first things first with socializing our pups, you know, a couple little notes. Let's make sure puppies are vaccinated when they're young. Let's make sure we're doing it safely in that regard. Um, And when it comes to socializing, don't discount the fact that your dog, you know, if they've got a handful of good dog friends, that's good. like that that's good enough. Dogs don't need to have a thousand friends. They don't need to go to a dog park and meet a thousand dogs. Yes, it is good for us from a socializing aspect. Yes, it is definitely good to meet a variety of dogs, personalities, breeds, sizes. That's going to help your dog to learn to be acclimated to anything and everything, right? Um, but you don't need to have your dog socializing with hundreds of dogs every week. It's just not something that's necessary. Yes, they need socialization, but they don't need a thousand friends. They just need a handful of really good friends. I mean, I kind of feel the same way about human beings. You know, I'd rather have, and I'm I'm grateful I do, a handful of really good friends than a hundred acquaintances, you know, surface level friends. It's nice to have good friends. And it's no different in in a roundabout way. It's it's no different with a dog, okay? I'm not saying go out and get a second dog, by the way. Like, let's just, (laughs) let's draw the line right there. Don't go out and get a second dog. Okay, let's talk about socializing. So... Aside from a dog park, I am a big fan of doggy day camps, as long as they're reputable, right? You do need to do your research on doggy day camp facilities. I prefer a facility that emphasizes training, uh, that has maybe professional trainers on staff, as opposed to having a bunch of teenagers watching dogs all day. There's definitely something to be said about a doggy day camp facility that's run correctly versus one that's not. It can actually be detrimental to go to the wrong place. So referrals are always good. Checking out these places is always good. But to me, a doggy day camp facility is that way to get your dog the wide variety of different dogs, different personalities in a controlled environment. That's the best way to do it. And that's why dog parks may not be the preferred go-to for me. Look, you're going to find most professionals, veterinary uh, training, most animal professionals are not the biggest fans of dog parks we're just not a lot of reasons why we'll get into when we talk about the dog park side um so this is why we recommend professional doggy day camps this is why we recommend find good friends of yours that you know vaccinate their dogs you know take care of their dogs and that way when you're socializing them you can deal with any issues that might come up and also you know from a health perspective we're all good so again this is why i emphasize the doggy day camp facilities they can help your dog grow, socialize, gain confidence, that kind of stuff that they might need. Um, Again, good professional environment to do it in. Now, when we do talk about meeting dogs for the first time, I am definitely a fan of doing it in a neutral environment. And I'm also a fan of doing it leashed up if it's done correctly. Very important kind of detail there. When I meet dogs for the first time, or have dogs meet for the first time, rather, I prefer to do it like uh, if I'm going over to a friend's house, or I have a friend coming over to my house, and they're bringing a new dog, which will actually be happening in a couple nights from now, um, and they're bringing their new dog over, we're going to meet outside, you know? Potentially. Now, I do greetings a little different than the average person, but... I have my reasons why and we don't need to get into that today. But we'll we'll meet outside. We'll meet on leash. We'll do it from a distance. We'll keep our distance like 30 feet away at first. Let the dogs just take each other in from that distance. This is an important factor that most people don't do. Very important here, guys. When we meet our dogs on leash outside in a neutral environment, I don't want to just immediately go and approach. I want to take our time. We're going to go 30 feet away, sit, hang out, see what they do. If the dogs don't care about each other after five minutes of hanging out, they're 30 feet away, and they're like, whatever, we move a little closer. We sit and hang out from 15 feet away. Five minutes go by, the dogs don't really care about each other, we're going to move a little closer. I can already hear, David, this is 10 minutes. Are you kidding me? Just to let our dog say hi for the first time? Yeah. I I don't know why people don't want to take their time and work with their dogs and set it up correctly. Instead, they want to rush through it, and then we have an issue and a tiff, and then what? Well then we've gone backwards in our training and now we have to undo that crap we just Now you're talking even more do you think 10 minutes was bad? Try 10 months if you if you screw it up bad enough. I'm serious, you know. This is why you got to take our take our time. This is why you got to take your time uh, when we introduce new dogs, right? Taking it slowly. Once they're cool, we're going to sniff for a second and then we're going to turn and walk away. That's the initial first greeting. Once we're cool from 15 feet away, we might move in. Once they, we're gonna sniff for a little split second and then we're each gonna turn and walk in our opposite directions. Then we're gonna come and do it again. Sniff for a second turn. We take the introductions really bite-sized and slowly. And that way neither dog feels really pressured or neither dog feels threatened or neither dog feels cornered. They go, oh, I can sniff and say hi and walk away. Sniff and hi and walk away, cool, this is no big deal. And then before you know it, we can go inside, pop off the leashes and let them have fun. But that initial greeting is so vitally important. Guys, everything else aside from socialization, like forget like playtime, and we'll talk a little about this in a sec, but like if everybody just took their time and spent 10 to 15 minutes doing this introduction, you would have to do less of those in the future, you wouldn't have to spend the time doing those introductions in the future with dogs, and you'd have a better result. I can guarantee it, like 100% certainty, and most people just don't wanna take the time to do it. So I can't stress it enough. Slow entries, slow intros. Right? Let's let's take it easy. Let's take our time and make sure we have success. Now, once we do have our dogs playing around, what are the rules? I love hearing that one. David, where is the line? Where is the line? It's a good question. I mean, really is. Where is the line when it comes to playtime and growling and this and that? There are intricacies to it, right? Like (laughs) there are intricacies in the sense that some dogs are more vocal than others. Some dog, you know, the line is is still kind of simple in my brain in that I look for and listen for. Well, let's start with the look. I look for body language. Is the body language stiff? Is it very sharpened? Is it- Bolting in and then backing in. Or is it like playful and we're taking turns and each dog's going on the back and then the other one goes on the back and then they're all good taking turns with that position and the one doesn't have to be controlling and the other one's okay. You know, they're both cool with sniffing each other's butts. And those are the things I look for when we're doing all right. But if I see one dog doing any of those things, I just stiffen, stiffing up, not okay with butt sniffing, uh, not want to take turns on being on the butt, not want to be in a vulnerable position is kind of the key, right? Keep an eye out on that. I'm going to start to try to diffuse and redirect that if I see it escalating from there. That's the first step. And if I diffuse it, right, just, hey, hey, redirect, stop them for a second. It's like, think about it. It's like kids getting intense when they play and just kind of redirecting that for a minute to try to redirect to to calm them. It's the same thing. It's the same damn thing. It's even easier with dogs. Might get in in a little poke. Hey, cut it out. Good. Good boy. Okay, you can hear it in my tone. They know it's, you know, they they get it pretty fast, right? you... Are consistent with enough repetitions right so that's kind of where the line with playtime is I look for those things now from the hearing side uh, from listening uh, uh, with playtime the growling right I don't like ur, e, ur, e, ur, ur. You, I, I, I'm not a dog right <laughs> you get the idea though versus like, ur, ur, e, <laughs> like <that." laughs> grunts grunts if you will versus a, ur, ur. I don't like that that low growl that growl that's a warning that's a warning. And it may take a little while, but at some point that dog is gonna go, I've had enough and it, okay. That's when we want to diffuse that stuff is early on. That's where, look, when it comes to socializing, that's the biggest thing. Don't wait for it to get really bad. I always say have parent mentality. It's not, it's not, oh, why did you do that? It's don't even think about it. <laughs> All right. That's the mentality you need to take with playtime. If you so much as feel like it's going in the wrong direction, that's when I'm correcting it. Don't even think about it. All right. And then guess what? They don't even think about it. And then we don't even go there, and then bad behavior never happens. I get that question a lot, David. How do you have 15 dogs in your house and not have fights all the time? Because I'm on top of it. Because they take an active role in in their socialization, and because I have very clear rules and boundaries in this house, and every dog understands that. Not right away. It takes time, consistency, repetition. But then they start getting it. Oh, cool! Like I just stay within these boundaries and. We get to play and have fun and get treats and go run in the yard and go for walks and all this awesome fun stuff that they love. Cool, oh well, yeah, I'll just I'll stay within the boundaries, no problem. I make it I make them understand that it works really well for them, and then they want to do it more. So that's the socializing side, the dog park side. Oh boy, how much time do you have? (laughs) Look guys, the first dog park segment I think I did was a long time ago. And I think I called it dog parks, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because that's just it. There is the good in the dog parks, there is the bad in the dog parks, and there is the downright ugly. I've seen dog fights, people fights, every kind of fight, just nasty stuff. You see entitled people, over-knowledgeable people that are actually unknowledgeable because they have so much information they think they know, but they don't know anything. You have the, you know, know know-it-all Nancys in the dog parks so there's a reason why most professionals don't like dog parks. And the main reason is the health perspective. You don't know what dogs are coming in and out of there, what dogs have been vaccinated, what dogs are carrying parasites, and now your dog has just by entering the dog park. It happens. It does happen, it can happen, and it will happen. It's that simple. Um So unfortunately, every time you go to the dog park with your dog, you're flat out taking a risk from a health standpoint and from a behavioral standpoint. There's the downside that your dog can learn bad behaviors and bad habits from other dogs that are not so good. There's the downside that your dog could get bit. I mean, that's just the truth of it. Your dog could get bit by a brat dog. Um, Brat owners, it's not the dog's fault usually, right? So the dog parks, it's not my favorite place to go. I'm lucky enough you know, that now I have enough dogs coming through my house some socialization and socialization such that I don't really frequent dog parks very often. I will say, a dog park can be used as a training tool. It can be used for socialization. I know there's some people out there that are listening to this going, David, I love my dog park. I don't know what you're talking about. And you're you're probably right, Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong, there are dog parks out there that are okay, or times a day you can go to the dog park and the crappy people aren't there. Um, so it's not to say a dog park can't be a good thing, it's just in my experience most of the time hasn't been. Just, you know, that's just the truth. So a dog park can be a tool though, and it can be a safe tool from aside from socializing um, directly in the dog park. I like to use a dog park for being outside of it. What is a dog park? It's controlled chaos. It's a bunch of dogs loose, but behind a fence. So if I have a dog who has aggression issues or even confidence issues around other dogs, I like to take those dogs and go for a walk outside the dog park, right? I utilize the chaos inside the dog park from the outside to work with a dog and train them. So that's a way I can utilize a dog park as a training tool, other than going in and socializing, something you may have not thought about, but something to think about. Now, I'm going to try to put this in a nutshell, but the common theme here is this, guys. To get yourself to a dog park, in a dog park, and out of a dog park successfully, healthily, safely, whatever the you want to look at it as, there's a common theme. And that theme is calm which everybody's going, David, <laughs> dog park, calm, what in the world? Please, that's just it. That's exactly it. A dog park is an over-exciting, over-stimulating, crazy environment. So there's a couple things that I need to require of my dog before I can expect them to deal with that madness, right? Look, the first and foremost, like, first thing before we even go to the dog park, guys, your dog must know a sit, a stay, a lie down, a leave it, a drop it, and most importantly in a dog park, a recall. You will find that if you go to a dog park and you start reading the dog park rules, most every single dog park is going to require that your dog know a recall. And the funny thing is, how many dogs inside a dog park know a recall? Unfortunately, not very many. That's my requirement, and it should be yours too. You should not go to a dog park if your dog does not have a recall. This is a professional. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being truthful. You have no business being in the dog park with your dog if you do not have a solid recall trained and worked with your dog something you have to practice at home, it's something you have to practice well before you go to the dog park to teach your dog to come back to you. It's a safety thing, guys, it's very important. So, with that said, if our dog does know a solid recall, it's all about trying to keep them calm. Let's not pump our dogs up on the way to the dog park. We're gonna be calm. Maybe let's put on some jazz music or some Mozart, right? Like something chill. <laughs> but no, I'm not gonna be going, Hurry, you ready to go to the dog park? You ready, huh, huh, you ready, ready? Yeah, you're gonna go, you're gonna go. There's no reason to do that. It's exciting enough. We don't need to add to it. There's no reason to do that. It only pumps them up more. And the more that brain is going, the more likely they're gonna get themselves in trouble there. It's just like a little kid. Do you pump them up to go to the playground? If you do, I don't know why. Um, probably pumping them full of sugar while you're doing it. Anyway, so <laughs> on the way to the dog park, we want our main calm. We get to the dog park, same thing. I'm gonna hang out in the car for a couple minutes. We're gonna, I'm gonna chill out. We're gonna see if puppy, dog, whatever, can just chill out in the back seat. Once they chill out and they're cool, then I try to let them out of the car calmly. If they bolt out of the car immediately, I'm gonna put them right back in the car. We settle and we try it again. I can rinse and repeat any of this process, anything from here to getting anything. The rule of thumb is calm guys, so if they start not getting calm, we go back to the last place we were calm, we relax, we get calm again, and we try to move forward. It's this back and forth to try to keep focus and keep calm before we get in the dog park because they're gonna have fun, they're gonna get excited. And if you take your time doing this process, you'll discover that it won't take too long, maybe a couple weeks, won't take too long before you can just do this whole thing in a matter of a minute. Get to the dog park, take your dog out immediately, walk right into the park, they're calm as can be, let them off and you're in. But if you don't take the time to make this process happen, to keep it calm, oh, it's gonna be trouble. Trouble with a capital T. All right, so again, we're moving into the dog park. We finally get to the dog park. We're in the little holding area before we actually go in. And still, I'm gonna ask my dog to relax. We're gonna ask for a sit, a stay, relax. Because when you get into that holding area, you, you all know what happens, right? All of the dogs from the dog park are gonna come over and surround that gate. God forbid you have a dog who has confidence issues or doesn't like being cornered. That's the last thing we need. So my advice to you is wait them out. If you sit there, um, excuse me, if you sit there long enough in that holding area, just relaxing with your dog, I promise you eventually most of those dogs will disappear and go away. Okay. That's the time I'm ready to enter the dog park. Now, a couple things before we enter the dog park, a couple things. Number one is I need you to be empowered as a dog owner to not listen to the know-it-all Nancys because you're gonna be in that holding area waiting with your dog and they're gonna think they need to come over and go, oh, it's okay, you can come in. You, can, you don't have to wait. You can come in. Anytime ah, I'm doing some training. No, it's okay, you don't have to. Don't listen to them. It's your dog, it's your rules, it's your boundaries. Do what you need to do to get success with your dog and don't listen to anybody else. Be empowered by that, all right? The next thing is um, when we do enter the dog park, I highly recommend... Going in with a leash on. Now, I know some people will say, don't put the leash on the dog in the dog park, take the leash off. I don't agree with that for a moment because, God forbid, you walk in and a dog, I mean, I've seen it happen, guys. You walk in and a dog were immediately to come and try to attack your dog. At least you have a leash to try to pull them, to do something, to have some control without having to reach your hands in there. I've literally seen it happen multiple times where a dog gets attacked the second they walk into the dog park. So, why would I want to forfeit control like that? At the cost of safety of my dog. I I don't really get that. So once again, not listening to no and all Nancy telling me to take my leash off. By the way, I'm saying all of these things because I've had no and all Nancys multiple times say all of these things to me multiple times. So I know they're going to say them to you just just so you're aware. Um... So I'm going to walk into the dog park once my dog is relaxed in the holding area, once all the dogs have dissipated away from the gate, and once I feel like the energy is relaxed a bit. I'm going to open that gate with my dog leashed up and just walk straight in. And I'm going to start going around the edge of the park just on a walk. You're going to have dogs coming up behind you wanting to sniff butts. No big deal. Let them sniff. All good. Let you deal with over sniffers. If they won't, you can keep walking and get away from them. But I like to do a couple rounds. And usually, it'll be kind of the same thing that happened in the holding area. Dogs will show interest at first, but as you keep that movement going, we're not allowing anybody to get cornered, we're not allowing anybody to stiffen up, and it actually keeps the movement going, keeps everything relaxed. So after a couple loops, I'll notice all the dogs have kind of dissipated, we're all good, my dog's relaxed, they look relaxed. If they don't, I'm gonna leave. It's that simple. If your dog doesn't look relaxed at this point, or curious, or wanted to check things out, maybe it's time to leave and not push it that day. No problem. We can come back and do this exercise again. Okay, Help build that confidence. We don't want to push too hard too fast. But if my dog's looking all good by this point, pop the leash off and let him go. Awesome. By this point, it should be controlled. And if there are any issues, your dog knows to sit, stay, lie down, leave it, drop it, and a recall, of course. Right Now, with this all said, now that your dog's having fun in the dog park, I do need to say a few things. Number one, No phones, guys. Put the damn cell phones away. I'm so tired of people going to the dog park and staring at their phones and not taking an active role in their dogs. Number one, what happens if your dog gets into a kerfuffle, or for that matter doesn't, but someone claims they do? Someone comes over and goes, your dog just bit my dog. Meanwhile, it was some other dog. But you weren't watching because you're looking at your cell phone, so you don't know any better. You can't prove otherwise because you didn't see it. Now what? Put the cell phones down, guys. Take an active role. If you're at the dog park, be with your dog at the dog park. You don't need to have your damn phone. I don't care if you're buying on emails. I don't care that you're buying at work. Don't take your dog to the dog park then, and maybe you shouldn't have a dog. Ouch, David. Yeah, that's the truth. You don't want to provide for your dog. You don't want to take an hour to put your phone down to be with your dog. I find that really sad, to be honest with you. Sorry, I do. It's my opinion. I think it's sad that people can't put their phones down and be with their dogs. I think it's sad people can't put their phone down at all, but that's a different story. Don't put it down right now. Keep listening to the podcast right now. (laughs) Um, anyway I'm sorry it's pet peeve of mine it really is because I see bad things happen when people don't pay attention at the dog parks Um, anyway put the phones down take an active role and watch your dog follow them around the dog park a bit take an active role and don't be afraid to leave if you're uncomfortable I know that's not what you want like you don't want to have to leave if your dog isn't doing anything wrong but look at the end of the day I've seen it so many times where all of a sudden, you look at the couple of the regulars and they're all reaching for their leashes and leashing up their dogs and you see this crazy dog coming into the dog park and they're like, oh, maybe I should get out of here too. <laughs> Read the room, if you will. If there's anything ever you don't feel comfortable with or for that matter, you see a bunch of regulars leaving, grab your leash and go. You can always come back to the dog park a different day. Uh, it's better to get out of there than be around when the chaotic dogs show up because that's no fun for anybody. So again, guys, um, from a socialization standpoint, Dogs don't need to have 100 friends. If you guys have friends that have dogs, if you guys have parents, siblings that have dogs, there's no problem with having your dog socialize in the backyard with them on walks. If you go for a walk in the neighborhood, for that matter, and you see a couple dogs and you say hi for five minutes and you chat, that's an awesome social. That's a, that's a great socialization interaction experience for your dogs, and it gives them that. You know enrichment and fulfillment that they need, they need more than that too. But it's a great supplement, is the point. My preference is always going to be those doggy day camps, professional settings over anything else. If we're not doing you know any other socialization, it's the best way to go over a dog park. Dog parks have their ups and downs, and in my opinion, it's mostly downs. Uh, you got to be cautious, guys. Dogs can be there that are unvaccinated, carrying parasites. You got to be careful. The theme is though, if we are going to go to the dog park, the theme is calm. We want to make sure our dogs are calm well before we go into the dog park, as we go into the dog park, and make sure we're controlling it with a leash once we go in and then when we're comfortable popping them off. If you ever feel uncomfortable at any time in a dog park, guys, don't hesitate. Leash them up, get on out of there, come on back a different day. No problem. But I hope some of that information empowers you, helps you out uh, socializing your dogs, and, of course, helps you stay safe at the dog parks. Good luck out there. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over? Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak A Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak A Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. DogCast, keeping it simple. It's one of my favorite sayings when it comes to animal training and dog training, and that is K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid, right? (laughs) No, it's very simplistic, actually. Like, dog training is actually very simplistic, and I think that's what makes it complicated. Now, sure, some of us have math brains, some of us have creative brains, some of us are somewhere in between, and I I do find that people that have math-oriented brains have a harder time with the psychology side of it, with the positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, negative punishment, redirections, uh, reinforcement sampling, I mean uh, reinforcement history, like we can go through all these different things, and I think people that have the number brains just hear the words and, and can't calculate it right? Like you can't calculate it. And so it doesn't work for them. And I understand that this stuff can be tricky. And so I want to try to keep this simple in understanding the basic concepts uh, when it comes to not psychology so much, but instead training, right? We talked about Psych 101 last week. And I took a little bit of a slightly different approach in focusing on certain aspects of, of the terminology. And this week, again, Simple. Let's talk simplicity. I kind of want to try to relate it on a more emotional level if I can. Ah, David, you're really going to go that route? I am for a moment and hang with me. All right. Think of something you like. Whatever that might be, think of something that you like, that something maybe you would do math problems for. Maybe you don't like math problems, but you would do the math problems for this, right? Let's say, um, psychology homework. I'm gonna make you do psychology homework. You don't like, you know, you don't like psychology. I'm gonna make you do psychology homework and I'm gonna give you whatever that something is that you really like, and I'm talking. If it's a trip to Bali, it's a trip to Bali. If it's a giant five-tier chocolate cake, that's what it can be. If it's a bottle of scotch, Eat great. <laughs> if it's a thousand, you know, a thousand dollar bottle, even better. Think of I'm talking something that's gonna motivate you. What's that motivation for you? Really think about it, imagine it, taste it, feel it, whatever it is. Now take that motivation and imagine you're a dog. And what motivates you is affection and food. <laughs> Right, And that affection in food is going to be equivalent, mostly the food, is going to be equivalent to whatever that prize and reward you thought of is. So take that mentality, take that emotion and go, wow, like holy crap, my dog wants to work that bad for a treat? Yes, yes, he does. And so if my dog wants to work that badly for a treat, making them work for a treat is actually a good thing. It's a healthy thing, and it's how we shape behavior. Right? I mean, look, in, in simpler terms, I don't know about you, but I don't want to do my job unless I get paid. Right? I don't think you guys want to do your job unless you get paid. Vice versa. I don't think your employer wants to pay you unless you do work. I don't think you want to do work unless your employer pays. Right? So we can all look at these forms of what we're really talking about as forms of motivation. What motivates you, what motivates me, and what motivates your dog. Okay, So when we talk about motivation, I'm I'm not talking about Chris Farley and a motivational speaker. No, no, no. Um, (laughs) Not living in a van down by the river. No, we're talking about motivation. What motivates you? What makes you want to do something? What gets you out of bed in the morning? And for your dog, it's very simplistic terms. And this is why we keep it simple when it comes to dogs. I meet a lot of people who over a lot of dog owners who... I don't know why they want to overcomplicate it, but they really do. They really, well, what's Fluffy thinking? And I don't know if Fluffy wants that. Maybe he's not feeling like this right now. And maybe he doesn't want that kind of treat. And he wants this kind of treat right now. And it's like, guys, I hate to burst your bubble. Dogs are not that complicated. They're just not. Their motivation is very simplistic. Remember what we just said a minute ago. Take that motivation, that, that prize I, I had you think about at the beginning of the segment. I said, what you? What, what, what would you work so hard for? Whatever that is, I don't care if it's a $50 million, right? If you could earn $50 million like that doing one thing, wouldn't you do it? You can create a lot of stability with $50 million, right? You can save a lot of dogs with $50 million. Um, so think about that feeling. And think about that. That's how your dog, in a sense, is going to view the world when we give them a reward. So if a dog gets this reward like that seems like $50 million to us, they get this bacon treat that is like the greatest thing they've ever had. They're like, dude, how did I get that? What can I do to get that again? In a very simplistic way. This is this is what they're thinking. Like I've said it, animals work. In a very simple way. And this is every animal. Dog, cat, bird, human. Okay. We all work in a simple way. An animal is going to do a behavior. They're going to do something. Whatever that is. Take a step forward. (laughs) Okay. Uh, 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 A bird is going to peck at a thing to get food. And they're going to go. Whatever. A dog is going to bark. Whatever the behavior might be. An animal does a behavior. And then. Passively in the brain, they're going, Hey, did I get something out of that? Did I get something for doing that behavior? And if the answer is yes, guess what they're going to do? They're going to do it again and again and again and again and again and again. So when a dog barks at you and they get a response and reinforcement, they go, Oh, cool. I got pet when I barked. I'm going to do that again. Woof. But here's the problem dogs are simplistic. It's a problem, well, it's a problem and a solution, if you will. Um, Here's the problem with it: the problem with simplicity is just that. I love dogs to death, and they're very smart animals, but they're dumb enough to keep doing something as stupid as barking because they got something out of it—really motivating—and it got reinforced and strengthened enough to a point that they go woof, 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 woof. Woof, 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 woof. Are you annoyed yet? Woof, 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 woof. I have client dogs, woof, that have woof, done this woof in the past. Woof, woof, woof. And here's the simple reason why it was reinforced. And here's the other simple reason why they were never told to stop. There's the other side of the coin, guys, right? Okay, so we've talked about what motivates you, what motivates your dog, what motivates an animal. And it's gonna be a little different person to person, animal to animal, species to species, and individual to individual. We're not gonna get too into the intricacies of that part right now. But what about the other side? What about what doesn't motivate you? Because the problem with simplicity and reinforcement with a dog is something can be reinforced and strengthened so much to a point that they'll do it to a destructive in a, in a destructive sense, right? How about dogs that wag their happy tail? We ever hear that one, happy tails? Guys, they aren't happy tails. It's an overly excited, anxious dog whose tail can't stop, and it just whacks the <laughs> shit out of everything to the point, sorry, curse, whacks everything <laughs> to the point that they rip their tail up. Self-destructive behaviors because of an overexcited energy that got reinforced and strengthened to a point of fault. To a point of self-mutilation. Passive. They're not doing it on purpose. Or how about dogs that do self-mutilate on purpose, that rip their skin up? Is it psychological? The the doctor can't find anything wrong with them. Gee. hmm. So... That's the problem with motivation in that sense, and that what motivates a dog can be reinforced to a point that it can be self-destructive or just downright annoying, like a barking. <laughs> right? And so what do we do? Well, we well, the dog has only been strengthened and reinforced, and the behavior's only been reinforced for this barking, let's use the barking. No one's ever told it to stop. I love that. It's like one of my favorite things. I'm not gonna lie, when I'm with a client and I go, Well, have you ever asked the dog to stop? And they go, Well, what do you mean? <laughs> Not ask the dog to stop. Excuse me. Tell them to stop. Um, what do you mean tell them to stop, David? What? We have to give dogs boundaries and rules or they won't know any better? That's a head scratcher, right? Um, yeah, there it is. There's the simplicity of it, guys. We have to reinforce and strengthen behaviors that we like. And we have to punish. We talked, but we're not going to get too much. Right? Anything in an animal works for avoid doesn't have to be anything physical necessarily. But punish and decrease and weaken behaviors we don't like. And without the balance of the two, it's never gonna work. So let's go back to you guys a moment. What doesn't motivate you? We already talked about it. Like if you think about we actually already talked about it at the beginning. For me, like, I, 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 and the older I've gotten, I don't hate it as much, but I hate math. I mean, I'm just going to say it. I hated math class. I hate doing equations. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy math. My brain can do the numbers. You know, I can learn it. It's, it's not like it's this painful thing, but I just don't like it. I don't enjoy it. So for me, threatening to make me do a bunch of math problems, that's enough to make me not want to do something, right? That's a way to decrease my behavior. Well, what about you? What do you not like doing? How about like dishes? Oh, I hate doing dishes. I love to cook. I hate doing dishes. Laundry, don't like doing laundry. Nope, don't, nope, nope, nope. I don't mind the laundry part. I hate the folding. It's the folding really that comes down. I hate folding clothes. God, do I hate folding and hanging clothes. Um, those are two things, again, that I would work to avoid. So. Even my behavior can be shaped, <laughs> right? Wives and husbands, learn how to manipulate your uh, significant others, guys, right? Like learn how to manipulate your spouse a little bit. <laughs> you can use this psychology stuff even with humans. You'd be shocked. So that's the thing. When we talk about keeping it simple. And really, guys, if we're just going to keep it so simple, it's all about what motivates your dog and what doesn't motivate your dog and how we manipulate the variables to get what we want. But most people are afraid to put variables in place to begin with, and that's why they have crappy dogs. Usually the variable they're scared of putting in place is the boundary, right? Nobody cares about putting the reinforcement. Oh, let's just be bad. Oh, I love my dog. Well, he jumps all over me. Well, no kidding, because you pet him when he jumps all over you. That's a thinker, isn't it? Hmm, you've reinforced the behavior and the dog is doing. And I heard this the other day. Someone said, well, I don't, you know, I want my dog to still love me. It's like... I'm sorry. I have to slap myself in the forehead that you think your dog is not going to love you because you're going to teach him to not jump on you. Like, are you f- So you're telling me my dogs don't love me cuz they don't jump on me? Like, there's your logic applied. Doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't. I keep it simple, guys. Keep it simple, 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 simple. K.I.S.S. Keep it simple, stupid. What motivates your dog? What doesn't motivate your dog? Reinforcement punishment. Strengthening behaviors, weakening behaviors. That's it. Keep it that simple. If you keep it that simple and you start looking at it in that sense, you'll be surprised how quickly you can increase behaviors you like, desired behaviors, reinforce desired behaviors, right? And punish and weaken and decrease undesired behaviors. So good luck out there. Apply the simplicity and you'll get better results. The answer to today's trivia question in the 1989 movie Turner and Hooch, what breed of dog was Hooch? He was a French Mastiff. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about the University of Richmond. Founded in 1840 as Richmond College, the small private liberal arts school definitely has a unique mascot. In fact, it's so unique, there's no other college that uses this mascot. And as far as I know, the only professional team with this mascot is a professional soccer club in Scotland based out of Glasgow, named the Queen's Park Football Club. The mascot you ask? It's the Spiders. Yes, they are the Richmond Spiders. Now, they have been known as the Spiders since at least the turn of the century, but it potentially goes back even further than that. The origin and the exact timing of its use is definitely up for debate, and there are three stories that are associated with the Spiders. Now, the first is that there was a baseball team known as the Cleveland Spiders, and the name was taken from there. The second is a comparison to Spiders and the baseball team not allowing a, quote, flyball... Mm. to get by in a game against William and Mary. Of course, a reference to spiders not letting flies get by and fly ball, and I know, it's a stretch. The third, sport, uh, the third uh, theory is that a sports writer yelled, you guys look like a bunch of spiders trying to play ball, published in an 1897 yearbook. Oh my goodness, whatever the case may be, the spiders remained the spiders, but there was an attempt in 1941 to change the mascot to either the Confederates or the Rebels, as there was an association to the unfortunate past of Richmond as the capital of the Confederacy. However, when put to a vote, the students voted to keep the spider in an overwhelming majority, which is really nice to hear even back then. Now, for a short time, there was a live person dressed as a character that resembled Spider-Man from the comic books, but then in the 80s, the mascot took on a more fierce look, and eventually there have been different uh, iterations of the mascot. Now, one that is used for the websites for the school it actually kind of looks like an outline. I mean, it's like an outline of a spider, but if you really look at it and you ask an insect expert, they would tell you it resembles more of a tick, <laughs> not a spider. Maybe don't tell them that over in Richmond, but you know. Uh, but the tick, or excuse me, the tick. See, look at that. The, sp- <laughs> the spider is not meant to be a real species of spider. It was specifically designed and drawn for the school. Now, in the early '90s, the anthropomorphic version of the mascot earned an unofficial nickname as Spidey. That is until Marvel Comics heard about it. <laughs> now, by the early 2000s, they introduced a new version, which resembled sort of like a frat guy in sweatpants and a cape as a spider. Seriously, it's kind of what it looks like. Then in 2011, they think they realized the mistake. The school created Webster. Now, this is, okay, hang with me here, guys. Webster, right? Obviously, Web, but it's Web, W E B S T, and then a capital U R, University of Richmond, Webster. Which is also a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the listener Q and A. The first question today comes from John from St. Augustine, Florida. John asks, "My bulldog puppy Jack is about six months old. He's a pretty good boy." and training has been going pretty well. I just have a question about his farts. He farts a lot, and I mean a lot. I was thinking about taking him into the vet. That's how often he is farting. Is this normal, and should I be concerned? Well, John, you got a bulldog. (laughs) Congratulations, man. You got a farting and snoring machine. Uh, Yeah, look, puppies. Some puppies tend to be farters more than others in general, no matter the breed. I, I, some, it's a phase. Some of them, it's a phase. Some of them never grow out of it, or they're just farty dogs. Uh, but bulldogs do tend to be more farty than your average dog. Um, but if you do feel like, like, look, I would look at the poops, right? Is his, are his poops solid? Is he having trouble? Is he constipated? Are they loose? Like, look at that, honestly. And if that's a problem, then that would be cause for concern. If it's just a lot of farts, I would probably say your vet's probably gonna say, look, it's a bulldog and he's a puppy, he's farty. You can always try changing up the food, uh, changing up the treats maybe, maybe it's the treats that are making him extra gassy, who knows. So there's definitely a lot of different reasons that could be adding to the gas. (laughs) Right. But yeah, look, I mean, it's a bulldog puppy. Like I, I wouldn't be overly concerned if you feel, feel like his bowel movements are normal and everything looks totally cool. Right. Uh, but yeah, look, if you're concerned, there's no harm. It's always better to go to the vet and rule things out than to wait till something, you know, too late or something. I mean, it's a puppy. Most likely you're fine, but better to be safe than sorry. So yeah, if you're truly concerned, get him checked out. But at the end of the day, it's a bulldog puppy and they do fart. Next question. This comes from Tegan. Uh, didn't get where Tegan was from, but Tegan asks: My fifteen-year-old Springer Spaniel goes to doggy daycare. Should I also be taking him for walks before and after doggy daycare? I get worried about over-exercising him. Um, this is from Tegan. Oh, excuse me, from Tegan and Reacher. So, uh, Tegan, great question. Thanks for the question. Yeah, fifteen-week-olds. You know, look, fifteen weeks is is you're getting up there, right? Four months at sixteen weeks, and actually, we're probably at sixteen weeks because I know you you gave me this question like right. Um, right after I came out with the episode last week, I think is when this one was submitted. So right. 16 weeks old now. Um, you've hit that four month mark. I love that you're taking a doggy day camp. It's fantastic. But I also do judge it on the individual, right? I got to judge it on the individual. Is your dog like totally exhausted after doggy day camp and just done, if that's the case, I still would like to take them for a little walk. It doesn't have to be a long one, 10 or 15 minutes, just to get that little bonding time with you, a little bit of structure, discipline, right? It still is a puppy. We want to keep that consistency going. Um, but it's a Springer Spaniel, too. You know, you may, have, you may have the energy. Now, running, things like that, I try to take it easy on most every dog as their puppies. I try not to do too much running. And so, of course, a Doggy Day Camp, it's going to be a lot of activity. So, depending upon how many days a week you go to Doggy Day Camp, or excuse me, your dog goes to doggy day camp. You know, if you're going if you're going five days a week, then yeah, maybe take the walks back just a little bit as a puppy. And then um, you know, as your dog gets older, Maybe increase the amount of exercise, but again, this is one of those things where I kind of have to base it on the individual. I don't know how long, you know, some doggy day camps are two to three hours, some are eight hours. Um, so I can't fully answer the question without a few more details. But again, to me, it's really about the individual. I got to look at how much exercise they're getting really during that day at doggy day camp. But I still don't want to discount taking them for that 15-minute. Look, like if they're if they're just if they're there for eight hours and they're going all day, sure, 15-minute walk. Can do the trick. But like I said, I don't want to take the walk away completely because it's very important for consistency's sake, training's sake, bonding's sake. Um, So I hope that helps you out. But if you know, feel free to message me and give me some more details, and I can give you maybe a little bit more of a detailed answer on that one. So, hey, good luck. That's gonna wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. You can follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Join me there every Tuesday for training tip Tuesday with a brand new training tip for you and your dog. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash speakadogcast. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. And if you love what you're hearing, hit our Spotify and Apple Podcast users, scroll on down, give me that five-star rating. I would greatly appreciate it. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Crossen. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.